You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Well, good morning. Good to be worshiping with you this morning. I almost, as, as everyone was talking and making noise, I almost had one, two, three, eyes on me, because that's how I speak to the big kids class when I'm over there with them frequently. Um, if you're new or visiting, uh, my name is Peter Zimmer. I'm the director of family and community here at Holy Cross. And uh, so I'm not the lead pastor. Pete, who's been doing everything else so far, um, speaking-wise, is the lead pastor. So that's why it was so good. So I'm, I'm not the regular preacher. But grateful to be doing it this morning. And, um, and as we prepare to do that... Um, we do these family worship weekends four times a year, about every quarter, and it's something that is just such a blessing in our church to do, just like Pete already spoke to. It's a real sweet time, and, and uh, as we preach and teach during this time, there's a, a few different things that we do. Sometimes we stay within the, the series that we're in. We're currently going through the Psalms, uh, and then sometimes we actually just borrow the lesson and the passage that would be happening in the big kids class, and so that's what we're going to do today, and for a specific reason, we're going to put pause on on the psalm series and we're going to go through that that lesson because we're kind of at an important point and a hinge point that I just want to highlight for the congregation because it's really cool uh, we go through the gospel project curriculum in our classrooms and that spends three years systematically going through the whole narrative of the whole Bible from Genesis all the way through the end. And we are one and a half years into that curriculum. And so last week we finished Malachi and stopped the, uh, it finished the Old Testament. And now today would be the beginning of the next year and a half in the New Testament. And so Jesus enters the scene and we're starting that today. And so I just want to uh, take the moment to invite the congregation into knowing what's happening on that other side of the room because that's an important conviction that we have as a church that what's happening over there is the same thing that's happening in here it's not just child care um, but it's the worship of God's people functioning and living together as the body of Christ and so just take this opportunity to invite you into that and um, and so we're going to start actually by showing the little three-minute video that we uh, kind of organize our lessons around when we're in that classroom. So I'm, we're going to play that for you as a way of getting started with today's sermon. So some good, good sound effects in there. But uh, yeah, so you just got three, in three minutes, what we've spent the last year and a half doing is walking through the whole story of the Bible and seeing that Jesus came from a family. He came from human beings. He was a man himself with a family line. And so this was a little different than usual in that usually there's one passage that it kind of uh, talks about. This was sort of a survey of several different ones, uh, Matthew 1, Luke 3, and John 1, all kind of talking about the family line of Jesus. And so today as we are um, getting into our sermon we're going to preach from John 1, who does this a little, in a little bit of a different way in how he introduces Jesus on the scene of, uh, of the New Testament. So um, join me as we read John, or as I read for you, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so 
as John is writing this, uh, and he, he's writing it to a specific group of people, he's, he's writing to a little bit different group than some of the other gospel writers. So, uh, kids, if you know, is in the beginning of the New Testament, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very similar, and they're writing to the same people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people, who share the common story of the Old Testament. Well, John was writing to them as well, but was also writing to the people that the gospel was spreading to as he starts to write about Jesus. He's writing to the Greeks. A lot of Greeks were coming to know Jesus, and so when he chooses to write his gospel, he's writing to, to the Greeks who didn't know this Old Testament story. And so he was faced with this kind of uh, situation he needed to consider as he's introducing Jesus and talking to them. Um, he was speaking to people who didn't know the Old Testament story and weren't expecting a Messiah. What we've been studying in, our, uh, in the Old Testament is that we kept looking ahead in the Old Testament story. The Israelite people were looking for a Messiah. The Greek people were not looking for this. So John had to think about how can I communicate the gospel and who Jesus is to a people that don't share this story. And so um, we want to check for some understanding here for some of the kids that are among us. How, how many of you have heard of the Greeks? Have you learned of them in school yet? If it's third grade or older, you've probably learned Greek mythology a little bit. You've heard about their history. This is an ancient people group, uh, just like the Israelites and many others who, um, yeah, the country still exists today. But, um, yeah, the Greeks are a people that, that, um, Jesus, that John was, was writing to here. And they, you've maybe heard of Zeus. You've maybe heard of Greek gods. Well, as time went on, the Greeks... Um, thought of all of life, their pursuit, their highest ideal was knowledge, was philosophy. They, didn't, uh, they weren't expecting a Messiah, like a person to come save them like the Israelites were, but they still had a belief about what would give them the truest, best, most fulfilling life. They still had this picture of what would give them light and hope in the world, and that was knowledge. That was the pursuit of knowledge and the pursuit of like philosophy. And so um, they called, they, they had a word for this, for this ideal that they tried to understand, this thing that made sense of the world around them. It was something called logos. Kids, can you say logos with me? Logos. That's what they, that's what they referred to it of, as. And so the best way, one of the best ways that I can kind of describe this for you is to think of it kind of like the force in Star Wars. It didn't, have a, uh, it didn't have a dark side, but it was kind of the power of truth. It was like this idea that held the whole world together and where you could find the energy you needed for life and how you could be the best person was tapping into and conforming your mind to this logos. This is how the world was organized. And so the goal for like a Greek person in this time was to be kind of like a Jedi, to know the force, to understand it, to conform their mind and everything about the way they thought to this idea of how life was supposed to be. Um, so Logos, you could say, was the light for the Greek. It was like the light that gave all the understanding of the world around them. It was the way out of darkness. This is how you would understand the world around you. This is how you would know truth and find and have wisdom. And this is how you would live the best most fulfilling life was by knowing this. 
And so this is why John starts his book and his gospel the way that he does, because he's talking to the Greeks in a way that they would understand. So he begins with something that he knew that they were looking for. If we look at the verse that, that John starts with, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when John wrote this, when he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote it in Greek. And guess what the word, word, means in Greek? Logos. That's the word he's using. So John starts announcing this Gospel uh, by talking about something that the Greeks would know and they would understand and that they would agree with. He said, in the beginning was the Logos, this ideal, this idea. But then, as he continues, he shocks them by calling this, the, the word, the Logos, a person. He starts referring to them, to him as a he. And then later, after our passage today, he, um, he's, he calls it becoming flesh. So this was something that they had no category for. The Greek people didn't understand what this, what this was. It was radical for them. So what John is telling them as, he, as he's introducing Jesus to them is that what they really need isn't an idea or a philosophy, but that it's a person, that a person, and this person is Jesus. And so this is John's main point to them at the time and to us today is that Jesus isn't just a good idea or a philosophy or a method. The Bible isn't just an idea or an instruction manual for the best life. It's a story about a person, and that person is Jesus, a real person, who is our only hope in life and death. And he is the only way to a truly good life. So the way John chooses to make this point about Jesus is by talking about Jesus as the light of mankind, a light that shines in the darkness. And so that's kind of a theme, like Pete had said. That's a word that will come up a lot, is the light that shines in the darkness. This is John's theme. At first, when Pete said that, I thought he was making fun of me because I thought he said that uh, like was something I said a lot. So I thought he was <laughs> saying that I said like a lot in my first service. But then I, then I got it. Yeah. So light. <laughs> light is the word you're looking for, kids, okay? That's John's big theme here. Um, so... There's a couple different ways. There's a lot of different ways that we can understand light and what it represents and what it does and how it's an image of God and Scripture. Um, but I'm just going to talk about two. First is we're going to talk about a flashlight or a headlamp, right? That's a way that we interact with light. So uh, one thing that I like to do a lot is run. I'll go running a lot, and if I want to do it, just because of the way life is, I have to do it in the dark a lot of times. So if I'm going to go running, I need to bring a headlamp with me so I can see. And so in this situation, the light for me is like a tool. It's a help. It's an aid. It's something I bring with me to help me do what I'm trying to do. So it comes alongside, it takes my energy, my work, and it just complements that. It's a tool that I use that helps me. Um, so obviously, if I didn't have the light, I could get lost, I could struggle, I could fall down, but I, I would still be okay and be kind of fighting through it. But there's another way that we can understand light, um, and I think this, is, this, this other way is, is a more accurate way or more the way that John is really getting at as he's trying to convey to us Jesus as the light that comes into darkness. And that um, has to do with the kind of light that uh, helps plants live. Uh, maybe some of you have heard 
only a few of you of my kind of strange Monday morning ritual. And um, it developed from after summer life group in June, we, uh, James and I went to Trader Joe's and we bought some succulents from Trader Joe's because we were trying to figure out how to do centerpieces for tables during um, our, our summer life group. And so what, and when July came around and summer life group was over, we had these nice living plants and I was like, oh, what am I going to do with these? So I gave myself a challenge to try to tend to them and keep them alive. And so I put them over on the counter behind the iPad kiosk where you check in your kids. And they're still there. Six months later, they look a little weird, but they're still living. And so Monday mornings then became my ritual to go over there, get the plants from display, and then move them and put them in the window where they could get good, healthy light and live. Because without that, they wouldn't have life. They depended on this energy source and this thing coming from outside them to sustain them and lead them to live. So kids, I want you to think for a second, what would happen if I took those plants and instead of putting them in front of the window, as soon as we cleaned up, I just put them in the dark closet and closed the door and shut it and the plants were in there. What would happen? Does anyone want to say? Hannah. They would wither up and die, right? As soon as they were taken out of the light, they would still be alive, but they would be on a trajectory. They would be tending towards, trending towards death. And so that's kind of the example of light that John is talking about when he's sharing about Jesus. This is what he's talking about in that sense, the plant sense. He means to say that Jesus is the source of life itself. He actually says that at the beginning and that we desperately can't live without him. So if we look at these five verses that we're going through and we talk about how life came through Jesus, from God, given to us through Jesus, but then it says that light had to come into the darkness. So something happened. So the question we're kind of left with here is what happened? If life came from God and we had that, but then now we're in darkness, what happened? That's a fair question to ask as we're talking about this. How are we now in darkness, and, and why do we need to look for hope? And the answer to this is the story that we kind of walk through and, and talk about every Sunday that we gather for worship. The answer is sin. So when John uses the word darkness here, and he's talking uh, to us about the darkness in the world, he's talking about sin. And when he's doing that, he's showing us that the result of sin is death. So by using the language of the light of life, coming to the darkness, he's teaching us about the nature of sin. He's saying that it had actually separated us from the life that had come from God through Christ. That's how devastating sin is. The very core of sin was a rejection of God as the giver of life, as the giver, the provider, the relationship that he offered. It was a rebellion against that. And because of that, because of God's holiness, um, our relationship with him was broken. It isn't just, so sin, with this definition, is not just bad things to avoid. It's not just like potholes you're driving around trying to avoid little bad things. It's being cut off from life. It's being separated from God in relationship with him. It's like being that plant shut in the dark closet. And so what John is saying to us is that this sin has affected all, all things. Jesus has everything, every single thing that he created through Jesus. 
So sin has affected all things, and every single thing that is created was created through Jesus. And so, therefore, if everything was created through him, every single thing is affected by the darkness of sin. If everything in our world, if every person in our world is affected by this darkness, then every single thing and every single person is in need of the light. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew who knew they were part of the Old Testament story, that understood um, what they were looking for, that knew the law of God. It didn't matter if they were a, a, a Greek who had never heard the story of God. And it doesn't matter if it's us today, young or old, regardless of what family we come from or what, how much money we have. 2,000 years later, we are in need of hope and rescue from the darkness that we live in because of sin. So the question that we should ask as we live in this darkness in this world to see how Jesus confronts that, what John is trying to do, is to ask what living in this darkness looks like in our lives. There's a lot of obvious ways that, that we see evil, that we know that we do the wrong thing, we know things that are against God's law, but there's other ways that we do this too. I want you to think about what the first thing is that you do when you walk into a dark room or you wake up from bed and you've got to go to the bathroom and it's dark, right? First thing you do is you just start reaching and grabbing, trying to feel something to give you some security and sense of where you are, making sense of your environment, right? You reach for a light switch. You look for anything that can give you a sense of security and hope. That's what we, that's what we do in the dark. That's what living in a world with darkness looks like in our life. We reach for anything we can around us in our life that we think will give us security, that we think will give us light or hope. And so a good way to identify this, to think about it, is to ask ourselves questions like this, to say, if I could just blank, then my life would be happy. Or if I could just blank, then I would have the good life. If I could just blank, I would be peaceful. If I could just be a responsible person, be a more responsible person, then I'll have a good life. If I just would do well in school and get good grades and get a good resume and get into the best college and, and have perfect attendance and, and provide for myself and have a good professional career, then I'm set. Then I'll have a fulfilling life. If I just make the basketball team next year, then I'll be okay. If I finally change jobs and get that new work environment or that new boss or that promotion, and I'll finally get some respect and be happy. If I could just have that friend as a friend or that person as a friend, then people will finally notice me and I'll feel better about myself. So these are some of the different ways we reach around in the darkness of our life to the things right immediately in front of us in darkness to find hope and security anywhere we can. We take the good things. These are all good things in life. We take the good things in life and we make them these ultimate things, these things that will provide for us comfort, security, and hope, this perception of light and understanding. But these things in and of themselves and having them are good, but they won't solve our problems. And so in this way, we're thinking just like the Greeks. So why did I go through that trouble of talking about the Greeks and their pursuit of Logos and how John confronts that by preaching 
about Jesus, teaching us about Jesus, is that we do the same thing. We're quick to settle and think that the answers to everything that we need and all the problems in our life, the disorientation we experience, is due to needing a better strategy, having a better tactic, or a better philosophy, a better outlook. All these different things that we settle for less than a person who came on our behalf. And so the bottom line of what John is telling us here is that our hope of light comes from outside of us, just like the sun for the plant. We simply just can't find it on our own through research and self-discipline. We need something outside of ourselves with the power to give life and overcome the darkness. And John is announcing that Jesus is that person. He's saying that the man Jesus has the power of God that existed before all of creation. He acts and moves in life, in history, with the power of God to give life and to conquer death. So God has his power. We're in the darkness. He brings the light. There's one more question that I think we may have if you're thinking critically or something good to touch on is, why does this light that we need in our life have to be a person? John goes on to say several verses later that something you've probably heard before, the, the, the word became flesh. He personifies this logos. Why did the word have to become flesh? Well, our hope for freedom from sin from freedom for sin, freedom from the darkness and brokenness and sin, is in knowing that God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to live as a human being to do what no other human being had the power to do, which is to live a sinless life, to live perfectly in the light amongst the darkness of sin, to please the Father perfectly, to, re- to achieve His holy standard. So Jesus, He perfectly lived a life of light in the world, darkened by sin, and then went to the cross to conquer death by taking God's punishment at the cross for us. The punishment God has for sin, death and rejection by him. He took that upon himself in our place. He did what we could never do. And so our hope for a rescue from the darkness of sin is by looking to Jesus in faith, the, per- the real human being who is perfect in our place, We see our need, we see our darkness, and we look to Jesus in faith who did something we could never do. And that's why our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that John knows and is sharing and proclaiming as he opens his gospel by saying, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So the light of God's grace, it shines for us in Jesus. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus alone, we find the light of eternal life. Knowing this, we have in Christ. Knowing this life that we have in Christ leads us to live entirely different lives, lives that are marked by the light that we're living in. We can live with a deeper security, a deeper peace than anything else in the world, any philosophy or method or way can offer us. We can live with a true desire in response to his grace to display God's light to the world that we live in.